to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today I'm going to begin a different series, a, a new series, a little bit shorter series, but it's called Last Days Lifestyle. Last Days Lifestyle. Perhaps you have heard it said, perhaps you have heard someone else say, perhaps you have said, man, with everything that's going on around the world, everything that's going on in our country, everything that's going on around me, we surely are living in the last days, the end times. Have you heard that? Have you felt that? Have you wondered? Of course, those of us that are a little bit older, we remember people saying that 10 years ago. We remember people saying that 20 years ago. We remember people saying that 30 years ago. Some of us even longer than that. Now, am I making fun? No, I am not making fun. Can I tell you that no matter what the case may be, we are closer to Jesus coming back than we ever have been before. And people have been wondering for the longest time, why is God taking so long? And God's word tells us why. In fact, we're going to look at the scripture later on. It says he's waiting because there's more people he wants to get to know. And he wants them to get to know him. But you know what? Those again of us who've lived for a while, and even if you haven't lived for a while, if you've been paying attention, it does seem like things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And that was the concern that as I prayed about it, thought about it, had a discussion with our elders and we had a prayer meeting that there's just so much that's going on right now that we want to take a little time to address that. You know, I just decided to sit down and try to make a list of all the stuff that's going on that can cause concern right now. You know, it can cause anxiety, can cause worry, can cause fear, can cause frustration, that can get us all worked up, that can get us sidetracked, that can get our minds going all different places. And I had to stop because my list was getting too long. But let me just give it to you. And my purpose is not to make you depressed, okay? So if this list makes you depressed... We're going to get to a good place. But I think about the economy. I could just stop right there, couldn't I? You know, it's such a mess. Everything is so much more expensive, but income usually isn't going up. I think of politics. I know that's been an issue forever, right? But it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. People from all different sides, all different viewpoints, arguing and pointing fingers and stirring up trouble and all kinds of stuff. And as you know, with next year being the big election year, it's probably only going to get worse. I think of war, the Ukraine war in the last little while and other wars that take place around the world. I think of terrorism, which doesn't seem to be as much in the news right now, thankfully, but that's been an issue we've had to deal with the last couple of decades. Disasters, just hurricanes, tornadoes, fires in Hawaii. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Now, Hawaii is so far away from here that, you know, it doesn't seem to affect us as much other than the fact that we feel for those people. We pray for those people that are dealing with that. Climate change. Racial and ethnic issues that ebb and flow and get stirred up. Very real issues. Issues of justice and equality. Related to that, issues of immigration, homelessness, substance abuse, 
violence and crime seem to be on an increase. My, this is so long, I find my place again. Not only with the violence and crime, but it seems to be less and less consequences for those who commit acts of violence and crime. So that just adds to the increase of it. The issue of abortion, which has been around forever, but has been stirred up more and more over the last couple of years. The changing views of sex and sexuality and gender. Sickness. You know, we came through that time when COVID was the thing and lately COVID has been surging again. In case you didn't know that, fortunately, it's not as life-threatening for most people as it was in the past, but it's there. Education. Who's teaching our children? What are they teaching them? Are they getting a good education? Are they being indoctrinated in things that we might would prefer they not be taught? At least not at that age. And all these things can lead to anxiety, can lead to worry, can lead to anger, and to an increase in all the things I just talked about for people who choose to get out there and do something about it, perhaps not in the best way to get out and do something about it. Just signs that we're in the last days, that things are getting closer and closer to the time that Jesus is going to come back. I told you that our main text is Matthew 14, but I wanted to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, just the first five verses. So I'm going to do that right now. Paul is telling Timothy, who is a pastor that Paul has raised in the faith, he's giving him instructions and he says, but, I, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. You look at that list and you look at our world and you say, you know what? Those character traits, those qualities just seem to be growing and increasing and increasing. And Paul said this almost 2,000 years ago. By the way, a little trivia fact. When did we start entering the last days or end times? It depends on whose opinion you listen to. But what the Bible says is that the end times started when Jesus went to heaven. So we've been in the end times for almost 2,000 years. But they have been getting worse and worse and worse. And it'd be so easy to look at all these things. I'm sure all of us have had to wrestle with this. Uh, uh, feeling that anxiety, of feeling that concern. of like, Where is our world headed to? And yeah, I know God said things are going to get worse. But I really didn't see it happening this bad in my lifetime. And what am I going to do about it? What can I do about it? How is it going to affect my life? How is it going to affect my family? And so we want to spend a couple of weeks talking about this issue. What, what do these things mean for God's people? The fact that we are living in the last days. These things are increasing. These are things that concern us. How should we respond to this? How should we live? What should we do? And that's why we're going to talk for a couple of weeks about a last day's lifestyle. A last day's lifestyle. We're going to deal with a couple of different issues over the next couple of weeks. But today, the title of my message is Warnings for the Last Days. Warnings 
for the last days. And these warnings come from Jesus himself. Jesus had something to say about all this stuff. Jesus had something to say about all the issues that we were going to face just by living in this world where a great majority of people and even the power structure in many places is anti-God and anti-God's truth and anti-God's morality. And the fact that it's going to get worse and worse. So we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be dealing with verses 1 to 14, but first of all, I just want to read the first uh, three verses. I've got to switch to the right place in my Bible too. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple, and let me just pause and tell you, where are we at in Jesus' life? This is the last week of Jesus' life, okay? If you're familiar at all with his story, he spent three, three and a half years as an adult teaching, preaching, showing who he is, healing, doing great miracles, gathering disciples, training them to do his work, telling them that it's going to end in his death, but they didn't believe it because they thought he was the Messiah and he's going to set up God's kingdom. And so they've come to Jerusalem and they don't know, the disciples don't know that Jesus is getting ready to die. But this is his last week and he's been coming to Jerusalem every day to teach and preach and then going outside the city to spend the night. So Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The temple they're talking about is Herod's temple. It was one of the wonders of the world. It was humongous according to uh, structures of that day. It was beautiful. People came from all over the world, not just the Jewish people because that was their place of worship, but other people to see this edifice that was built to the glory of Israel's God. And it's up on the hill in Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples have left Jerusalem, gone down into the valley. Now they're going up another hill, the Mount of Olives, where you can look across the valley and you can see the temple. And in the setting sun, it's glowing. They said there were times you could not even look directly at the temple because of all the gold and everything else. It would almost blind you. And the disciples are just kind of like, wow, isn't this really something? This is where we worship our God. And Jesus says, it's a big deal. But you know what? It won't be too long. It won't be there anymore. In fact, it's going to be torn apart. Not even one stone left on top of another. Some of those stones were about 40 feet long, 12 feet high, and about 10 or 12 feet wide. That's pretty big stones. By the way, that did happen. But it raised questions in their mind. In the disciples' minds. Because again, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus was the Messiah. But the common idea then was that this Messiah was going to come in and he was going to kick out any oppressing forces, which happened to be the Romans. The Romans had conquered them long ago, had them under their thumbs, were taxing them, were oppressing them, were causing them all kinds of trouble. So they believed that Jesus is the Messiah, was going to kick the Romans out, set up God's kingdom, have a rule and reign of prosperity and peace and godliness. And they were excited because they were his guys and they were going to help him rule and reign over this great kingdom and so when Jesus says this temple is going to be torn down all these questions are going through their mind how's that going to happen why is that going to happen 
Is it going to be because Jesus is going into war and he's going to set up this kingdom? Is it getting close? And so they ask him some questions. In verse 3, so as he sat on the Mount of Olives, apparently they asked the question, he said, well, let's sit down and talk about this for a little while. So they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, still looking across the valley at the temple. And it's as they sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? When is it that the temple's going to be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They're basically saying, okay, we don't understand how this is working and why the temple has to be torn down, but Jesus, surely that means that you're going to get this ball rolling. Surely that means you're going to kick the Romans out. It may take a war, but you're going to be, you're, you're going to be successful. You're going to be victorious. You're going to set up your kingdom. And they thought all that stuff was going to happen at one time or around that same general time. And so they're asking this series of questions. And in their mind, this is just going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Pretty soon, the kingdom is going to be set up. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? The end of the age. But Jesus knows that all these things are going to happen, but they're going to be separated by periods of time. The temple is going to be destroyed, and it was in AD 70. But then there's going to be almost 2,000 years where God is doing other things before Jesus comes back to set up the kingdom that they're all longing for. The disciples don't understand that. Jesus doesn't really clarify that at this moment because they wouldn't understand even if he tried. And so Jesus goes into some descriptions and some teachings about these last days, about what life's going to be like, about what's going to be going on in the world. And the passage we're looking at today as we go through verse 14 is basically just an overview of what life is going to be like through the whole period of time. From the time he leaves till the time he gets back. It covered their time, it covers our time. Once you get beyond that, he starts talking about the abomination of desolation and tribulation and all these signs and wonders and all this other stuff. And I can tell you that Bible scholars and theologians have been discussing this and studying this forever. And there's a lot of different theories about how it's all going to work out and the timing and this, that and the other. What's going to happen first, second, third and all that kind of stuff. And we're not going to dig into that at all. Today or for the next couple of weeks, today we're just concerned about what do we do in light of the fact that we're living in the last days and all this stuff is happening. But the one thing that we know for sure that is totally and completely clear in God's word is Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for his people. And he is coming back to set up God's kingdom. He is coming back to make everything right. He is coming back to deal with injustice and all the other stuff. And when it's all said and done, we have eternity with God with no more sins, sickness, sorrow, death. None of that stuff. And we look forward to that. But as I said today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, starting at verse 4. And Jesus talks about all the stuff that's going to happen in between. And he gives three warnings here. Warnings that were true for his followers then, or were needed for his followers then, but warnings that are true and needed for us today. The first one is this, is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Let's just go ahead and read all of 4 through 14. Then we'll deal with them one at a time. 
And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is Messiah. He's saying, there will be many that will come and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's going to bring it all to the end. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must, must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So the first warning he gives is, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. He mentions here, don't be led astray. That's the same thing. In fact, some translations translate that. The English Standard Version, which I'm preaching from, says don't be led astray. Some translate don't be deceived because they mean the same thing. And we find that mentioned many times in the New Testament because it was a very, very real danger for God's people. It was a danger for God's people all through history. God's people, Israel, were often led astray by false prophets, by their own desires. And Jesus knows that no matter how passionate his followers are about following him, including us today, that unless we're careful, unless we have our guard up, unless we're watchful, the potentiality of being led astray is there. So he tells his followers, do not be led astray. Do not be deceived. In verse 5, he mentions there will be false Christs, false messiahs. And you can go back and you can read the Jewish history, primarily through Josephus, a guy who wrote during that time, that there were several that came from the time Jesus ascended into heaven till the Romans conquered them in 70 AD, about 40 years in between. Several that came and tried to raise a revolt saying, I'm the Messiah, follow me, we'll kick Rome out. And they were put down. You can see where that might would be a temptation for Jesus' followers because they'd get sick and tired of the way the world was. Just like we sometimes, if we just focus on the negative, get sick and tired with the way the world is. I mean, have you ever said, Jesus, come back. Let's, let's just go forward. You know, let's get into your kingdom. He knew that there'd be those that would be so anxious for that to happen that they might be tempted to believe That either he'd already come back and he was out in the desert somewhere waiting for his followers to come find him or whatever. Or for those who didn't follow him, just say, is the Messiah coming? Oh, so-and-so says he's the Messiah. Let's go follow him. He says, do not be deceived. He also mentions in verse 11, false prophets. People who claim to speak for God, but they don't. It's not mentioned in this passage, but... All through the New Testament, there are warnings over and over, almost in every single letter that Paul wrote and Peter wrote and and, and other of the letter writers in the New Testament said, beware of false teachers. And there were false teachers that tried to slip into the church, 
Satan would motivate them. He would energize them. He would be when they're truly serving. They would slip in and try to introduce what they would call truth, but it was contrary to God's truth to try to lead people away. And they were successful to some degree or another. And it wasn't just then, but all through history and even today. We have to beware of false teachers and false teaching. For us today, we have so many other avenues by which to get teaching. I mean, it's not just the church you go to. It's not just the shows you watch on TV or the programs you listen to on the radio, but you've got podcasts and you've got the internet and you've got books and you've got this and that and the other. There's a whole lot more ways that the enemy can try to infiltrate our lives with false teaching. So easy. So I would say that Jesus' warning is just as appropriate, if not even more so appropriate for us today. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. But why do we need this warning? And the reason is because people in general can be easily deceived. I mean, even if you don't look at spiritual things, people are deceived all the time. Isn't that one of the major concerns, especially of senior adults today? All these scams that are out there. People trying to take advantage of other people. Presenting themselves as someone who has a legitimate message, a legitimate concern to you that you should be concerned about too. I was thinking about this this last week and it seems like people that are deceived, who give in uh, to these things, who, who, and we're all prone to that, it's either because of hope or fear. Hope or fear. We're willing... To, somebody, to be allow ourselves to be deceived because of what we hope for, what we hope to benefit from. It, it's almost like a joke now because I, I, I guess people fall for it because otherwise they wouldn't keep sending them out. But I get emails all the time. You know, about this widow of this guy in Africa or a, a president of a company or whatever and, and something terrible's happened and now they've got, you know, $50 million just sitting in a bank and they want to give me a million to help them get it out of the country. And have you ever gotten those emails? They still come, so somebody must be responding to them that I wouldn't send about anymore. But that hope, you know, it's like, oh, I'd love to have a million dollars. You know, I'd love to do this. So sometimes we're able to be scammed, we're able to be deceived because of hopes, especially if we're in need. We get something that says, this can help you with your bills, you know, you've won this, you've, you've won that. Got a phone call the other day, I picked it up and said, hello? He says, is this Tim? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm calling because it shows here that, you know, you had a vacation you paid for, but you haven't totally taken advantage of that. I says, no, I didn't. And I hung up. It's like, you know, I'm so glad that nowadays, um, at least sometimes my phone rings and it says scam likely. And I don't have any scam likely in my contacts, so I just don't answer. But we can be scammed. We can be deceived because of hope or because of fear. That's the one that's really terrible. But people who are praying on anybody of any age, but especially senior adults, and they call them, they send them a message and say, hey, listen, you know, the most mild version of it perhaps is the one where you get the emails and said, by the way, your computer is full of 257 viruses and you need to call us right now so we can get them out of there. Otherwise, your computer's going to be, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the people that would call and say, hey, listen, we're from the IRS and you've got a problem, blah, 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 you've got to pay this, you've got to pay... So many people have been scammed. Well, in a spiritual sense, Jesus is saying, don't be scammed. Don't be deceived. We can believe lies either because of hope 
or because of fear. Hope in the sense that maybe this really is God's word for me and it's going to help me. I'm going to benefit from it. It's going to bring relief or fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of if I don't accept this message or whatever, I'll be unpopular. I won't be liked. I'll be going against the flow. God's people have always had to deal with false prophets and teachers in the church. Those who claim to have a message from God but proclaim a message of their own making. Paul talks about it as people that want to come and tell you what you want to hear. That God wants everybody to be rich. That it really doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you lead because God loves you and he'll forgive you of whatever sins. Go ahead and live out your desires. You can do that and serve God at the same time. Those seem to be two of the biggest ones. We see that they were two of the biggest ones in the New Testament church. When you read the letters of Paul and others, the false teachers came in. They were hoping to gain um, finances and money. And so they would promote that among the other people. And you know, kind of like a spiritual pyramid scheme type thing. The other way they really got in was with sexual immorality. The whole thing was just live out your desires. It doesn't matter. And these false teachers were very much involved in sexual immorality. That's two of the main ways the enemy tries to get to us is through our money and things and through sex. It's always been that way. Satan will do everything he can to deceive us and get us off track. It's bad enough if we see these deceivers, these scammers out there in the world pulling at us. I'm sorry. It's bad that it enters the church i get my, my point backwards here. But within the church, we have our guard up a little bit more. But we see these same forces out there in the world putting pressure on us. We see the church in general many times giving in to the messages that are out there in our culture, in our media, social media, any other type of media. To push us or to pull us to believe something other than what God's word says. To follow the teachings and values of this world. I want to tell you something. God's values are different than these world's values. And God hasn't changed his mind. We, we see this in our world. Again, one of the main areas in which... It seems like the enemy loves to work because it pulls at each of us at the core of our being is in our sexuality. Areas that 20, 30 years ago, I never would have dreamed that we would, we would be where we're at in our culture today, much less in the church today. I'm going to say something that wouldn't be popular at all out there in the world, but it wouldn't be popular at all even in some churches may not be popular with you. But I just want to tell you something. God's standard on sexuality has not changed. God created sex to be a part of our lives as a beautiful gift. But according to God's word, it is to be expressed between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. 
the expression of our sexuality before marriage, outside of marriage, with someone other than our husband or our wife is not God's plan for people. And there are only two genders. God created them male and female. Now, I will say that people who love God and who want to stand upon God's standards would say, yeah, I see that. Lots of great amens, and I commend you for that. I'm not putting you down for that. But yet there are so many that feel pushed or pulled to accept the world's standards. And we've seen that enter the church. Now, I want to be very, very quick to say that we believe that to be true. This is what God's word says to be true. He has not changed his mind. But there are people who struggle legitimately with these issues. Doesn't make it right to express themselves in ways that are not in agreement with God's standards. But I want to be very, very quick to say that we as the church of Jesus Christ is not called to be mean to these people, to not reject these people, to not put them down, to not fight with them, but to love them. And to lovingly try to share the truth with them. To lovingly feel with the struggles that they may go through. Because it isn't our job to convince them that they're condemned by God because of their lifestyle and the way they live it out. But it's our job to convince them that God loves them in spite of their lifestyle, wants to save them from that lifestyle. Other issues that are so big today related, I mentioned the the whole gender thing that's going on. Abortion. These things, they they pull at us, they tug at us. The the world, you know, it, it used to be that, you know, at least in our culture here in the United States, that, you know, most of the values were kind of generally along the same uh, lines of God's values and there were always people that kind of did push back and stuff but it's kind of regular. that's not the way you go that's not really right that's not whatever but, but now it's totally flipped now it's gotten to where God's values are the things that are scorned God's values are the things that are put down and that puts pressure on God's people so do not be deceived do not be deceived what can we do to keep from being Deceived. The antidote to deception is knowledge of the truth. We need to know the truth. We need to know the truth. I love the account of a group of people that Paul spoke to in a little town called Berea. Paul had been chased out of Thessalonica. He had preached the gospel there. There was a lot of people that opposed it. They were going to try to arrest him and cause all kinds of... So he fled and he went to a little town called Berea and he began to teach the people there about Jesus. And I love what it says about the people in Berea. In Acts 17, 11, it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness 
examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Remember, Paul's message was new to them. He's talking specifically about the Jews in the synagogue. There are a lot of Gentiles that accepted Jesus as their savior also. But these Jews have been raised to know God and look for the Messiah, but they didn't know anything about Jesus. And so Paul began to share with them and say, hey, listen, I got some good news. Our Messiah's come. His name's Jesus. And he begins telling them about Jesus. And he uses the Old Testament to show how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about the Messiah and all that. And so, so the, the, you know, the, this is where he, what he would do every place he would go. And there would be some that would accept and some that would reject and cause all kinds of problems. But it says here in Berea that the people listened willingly and they were eager to know the truth. But once they heard the message, they compared it with God's word to make sure it was right. And that is what we need to do with all the messages that come our way out of the media. Not just about sexuality, because I really focused on that, but about everything else. Whatever it is that comes your way, you need to compare it to God's word. So you can know what God says about it. Which is another reason which we can add to the big long list we keep compiling of why it's so important to spend time in God's word. It's the only thing that can guard you against falsehood. It's the only thing that can help you stand strong against being deceived, being pressured, pulled, pushed into believing or agreeing to something that you don't. So don't be deceived. Know the truth and accept the truth and live the truth. The second warning Jesus gives is don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. I want to reread verses 6 to 9 because it's been a little while. He says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus says here, don't be alarmed. Now, I know I said don't be dismayed because I wanted all my points to start with a D. Okay, I'm sorry, that's just in me. Don't be dismayed, same thing. And D works anyway because he's saying don't be dismayed, don't be distressed, don't be disheartened, don't be discouraged, don't be disappointed, and don't be disturbed. Lots of Ds there. But he says don't be alarmed. He says all this crazy stuff is going on. The world has got all this mess. But don't let it get you all riled up on the inside and all anxious and all worried and all angry. I love that when Elder John came up here to pray at the end of worship and he read that passage from Isaiah, he says, you know, one of these things that this, this, this passage tells us is, is let it go. In other words, there's a lot of junk going on out there, a lot of needs in our lives, but we need to let it go, take it to God and let him do what he wants to do and not be worried and not be anxious and not be frustrated and what just give it to God and let him work. So John, just about preached my second point here. Don't be dismayed. And he mentions a couple different things by political upheaval. He says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There have been all through human history. So if it's far away, near, whatever it is, don't be dismayed. It's just part of the process. It's just part of living in this world where people are pursuing 
their own selfish interest, sinful interest, and they come into conflict with somebody else and it manifests itself in war, whether it's one-on-one or nation against nation. He talks about natural disasters. He says that there will be, I lost my place again, sorry about that, famines and earthquakes. Jesus didn't live in Florida, so he didn't put hurricanes. All kinds of natural disasters, fires. He talks about persecution. His followers are going to face persecution. Eleven, I'm sorry, ten of the eleven disciples that are left are going to be put to death in very terrible ways because of persecution. John is the only one that died a natural death, but they tried to kill him a couple times. They just weren't successful. Jesus' followers then and all through history and even today in most other parts of the world face terrible persecution if they choose to follow Jesus. He says, but even in the midst of that, don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed. And we're getting to the point where persecution is rising against God's people here in our nation. It's not yet to the point where we have to be concerned about losing our lives. But I'll tell you what, if it continues in the direction it's going, it may get to the point where we may need to be concerned about being put in jail, losing our jobs. I mean, that could still happen on a personal basis. I've talked to people through the years that they really believe that they lost their job because they were a Christian and their boss wasn't or whatever, and they just worked things out so they could get rid of them. But as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it used to be that Biblical, godly, Christian standards were recognized as these are good things for the most part in our culture. But nowadays, that's not true. With all the other things that have changed, all the different philosophies and and all the different viewpoints and opinions that are out there now about all the things we've already talked about, I'm not going to relist them. Christians are really getting pushed back. I mean, speaking from God's word now is considered hate speech. In so many areas. There may come a time. I hope not. There may come a time where what I just said a little while ago about God's standards on sex and sexuality could get me thrown in jail. If we really want to stand for Jesus and live for him. And again, not in an arrogant, prideful, looking down on other people way. There will be pushback. And again, unless there's some revival that changes the atmosphere and culture in our United States, it's going to get worse and worse. And and you need to get yourself ready for that. You need to steal yourself for that. You need to say, you know what? I'm putting my trust in God. But Jesus says, no matter how strong or difficult it might be, don't be dismayed. Don't be alarmed. How? Can we see that happen in our lives? What can we do to keep from being dismayed? What can we do to keep from being alarmed by the direction of our culture and the pushback that we get as believers? Well, the antidote to dismay is to trust in God. Sounds real simple, but it is real simple. We just trust God. You know, Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Paul said, I think it was to Timothy. I forgot to put it, didn't think to put it in my notes. He says, anybody that really wants to live for Jesus, 
They're going to face difficulty. They're going to face persecution. They're going to face pushback. You know, things may get tough, but Jesus will get us through. Things may get difficult, but Jesus can give us victory. If we're not careful, it can be very easy to give in to anxiety and worry. But God says that we can rest in the fact that he has everything under control and his promises are still true and Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to take care of all this stuff. And he is going to make everything right. So don't be deceived and don't be dismayed. And the third thing, and I think this is the most important one, but we have to do the first two to get here and to do this one right. But the third one is don't be distracted. Because not only does Satan want to use all this stuff to frustrate us, to get us anxious, to get us worried, to get us angry, to, 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 to not be, a, you know, to, to, to push back, to, to give in, to agree to things that we know God's word doesn't, not only does he want to do that, but he wants to get us distracted from what God has left us here to do. And Jesus says, don't get distracted. Look at verses 10 to 14. He says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. He's talking to disciples here. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All this stuff we've been talking about can be very distracting. Distracting from what? Distracting from a lot of things that God wants for us. But let me just give you three things really quick. Three things that are alluded to in this passage. Being caught up and worried and concerned about all this stuff can distract us from our love for God. From our love for God. He warns his disciples, he says, all this stuff that's going to go on, if you're not careful, it could lead you to fall away. You can be led astray. Your love will grow cold. Now that love will grow cold. Does it apply to God or does it apply to each other? I think it applies to both. Jesus wrote a letter to seven different churches in Revelation and one of them in particular, he says, you know, you're doing everything right, but this one thing about you and your church that I have a problem with is that your love, you, you, you've forsaken your first love. And people say, well, is that talking about love for God or love for others? And the answer is yes. We can get so distracted that our love for God can grow cold And we know from Jesus' own teaching, which just basically emphasizes what God said in the Old Testament and then was repeated by Paul in the New Testament, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And if we're not careful, living in this world can cause us to be distracted from our love for God. The second thing is it can be distracted from our love for others. That's also part of that great commandment when Jesus said, you know, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that was one thing that him and the religious leaders did actually agree on. But Jesus went on to say, and the second one is so important, I can't leave it out. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus talked about love all the time. I mean, he made a list of people we should love. You look at the New Testament teaching on love. We're supposed to love our family. We're supposed to love our spouse. We're supposed to love our kids. We're supposed to love our parents. 
We're supposed to love each other in the body of Christ. We're supposed to love the people that are out there in the world. And Jesus said, if that doesn't cover everything, love your enemies too. So really, it covers everybody. But we can get so caught up in what's going on in our world that we can be distracted from our love for one another. The third thing is we can get distracted from our primary purpose. And what is our primary purpose? It's to tell people about Jesus. You know, he mentions several things in the couple verses we just read about being distracted from our love and being led astray and people betraying one another, hating one another, their love grow cold. But he ends the whole thing in verse 14 and he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. That is our primary purpose. That is why we're still here. Is to tell other people about Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven in one of those teaching times he had with his disciples between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus said this in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I'm getting ready to go to the Father, but I'll still be with you by my Spirit. He says, you're to go out. Tell the other people this good news. Teach them what I've taught you so that they too can follow me. And then they can teach more people. That's been our responsibility as a church, as the church for almost 2,000 years. And that's our responsibility today. And we can be distracted from that responsibility, from that purpose when we get too caught up in what's going on around us. But you know what? The disciples still had a hard time getting it. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, the last thing he's talking to his disciples about, the disciples are looking at him and saying, okay, now I'm paraphrasing, bringing in the facts here. Okay, Jesus, you died. Didn't understand that, but whoo, thank God you rose again. Are you ready to set up the kingdom? I mean, look at it. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciple says, okay, Jesus, you did your thing, didn't understand it, it's all over with, you died, you rose again, can we set up the kingdom now? And Jesus says, it's not time yet. There's a job to do. I'm going to fill you with my spirit to empower you to be witnesses in what you say and the way you live. Get busy about the work, the priority of reaching other people for me. And he says the same thing to us. There's nothing wrong at all with saying, Jesus, we look forward to you coming back. As long as it doesn't distract us from using the time we have left to reach out to the people around us. I mentioned earlier, why is God taking so long? Why is he letting things get so bad before he shuts it all down? 
Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has been waiting. He's been allowing things to deteriorate. Sometimes we have a surge of things getting a little bit better here, there, some other place. Maybe even on a national level, we can pray for that. We can believe for that. Pray for revival that not only revives God's church, but changes culture. That's great. Let's do it. But overall, it's just going to get worse until Jesus comes back. Why is God letting that happen? Because there's more people he knows will come to him. We've said this many times. Each and every one of us probably has a list of people we love that don't know Jesus right now. And if Jesus would come back and God would shut it all down, they'd be lost for all eternity and we don't want that to happen. So it's like, Jesus, come back, but you know what? Wait a little bit longer. Because I got that one. I got those two. I got these ones that need you. And our next prayer should be, Jesus, use me to help them come to know you. Please, Lord. So what can we do to keep from being distracted? The antidote to distraction is focus on loving God loving others, and sharing Jesus. Don't get all caught up emotionally or any other way in all this stuff that's going on in any way that keeps you from living out God's purpose for your life. So this world's a mess, but Jesus is coming back. So what are you focused on? As we spend the next couple of weeks talking about what should we be focused on? What should we do? How do we respond? Today, we need to pay attention to these warnings of Jesus. Don't be deceived. Stay in God's word and in close contact with him so you know what the truth is. And you can believe the truth. Live the truth. Don't be dismayed. Whatever happens in this world or in your life, God will help you through it. God will give you victory over it. And don't be distracted. Keep on loving God. Keep on and increase loving others and sharing Jesus. Let's all stand together. As we wrap this all up, It's kind of really hard to know how do we call for a response because this is something that we just need to go out and do. I mean, we can definitely call for a response to say, well, I'm going to commit myself to doing that and I'm going to ask you to do that today. I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to not be deceived, to not be dismayed, to not be distracted to the best of your ability by looking to God and to his word. But I also know that here today in this place or perhaps watching online or maybe watching or listening to this later, there may be some of you that are here or participating that you do not know Jesus as your Savior. And even though it's not been the primary focus of my message today, I want to give you that opportunity to come to know him. Very simply, this gospel that Jesus said is going to be proclaimed around the whole world is the good news. That's what gospel means. And the good news is good news because there's a lot of bad news. And not just the bad news we've been talking about today, but the ultimate bad news 
and that we are all sinners separated from God. The Bible says we have all sinned and are separated from God and His grace and His mercy. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, that entered the world because of sin, but spiritual death. In other words, our separation from God is going to last forever. And another part of the bad news is there's nothing we can do about it. But because there's nothing we can do about it, God did something about it. The same verse says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, what it's all about is that Jesus, God himself, came to earth, became a man, 100% God, 100% man, and lived the perfect life, the life we can't live, but was killed for it, didn't deserve it. But in God's plan, his death was what paid the price for the sin in our lives. And so if we put our trust, our faith in him, And what he did for us, our sins can be forgiven. And we can have a relationship with God. The gospel message is it went out all through history, even in the Old Testament prophets, but through Jesus and John the Baptist before Jesus and Peter and Paul is repent and believe. Repent and believe. We recognize that we're sinners and say, God, I am sorry for my sin. That's what repentance is about. Realizing that I am a sinner and it's not right. And I'm sorry. And I want to be different. But then to believe, to believe that Jesus took care of the problem and put our trust in him. If you're here today, you say, I need a savior. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I need forgiveness. Would you just slip your hand up? Because I want to pray for you. Don't embarrass you. I see that hand. Any other hands? So I need a Savior today. I want my sins forgiven. All right. There may be others who are watching or listening or watching later. I want to say a prayer. And I invite you to pray along with me. And I'll tell you that my prayer does not save you. It's only your prayer that does as you respond. Can you pray something like this? Father, I come to you today. And I recognize that I am a sinner. And God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for the things that I've done, said, thought, whatever, that are wrong in your sight. And I know that my sins separate me from you. Please forgive me. I know I don't deserve it. I know I can't earn it. But Jesus died for me. And his death paid the price for my sins. So I'm going to put my faith and my trust in that. Today, Lord, I confess my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came and died and rose again. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Live your life through me. Help me to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant that, God's forgiven you of your sins, but now you have the joy of living for Him. We want to help you to do that. Come and talk with me, my wife, one of our elders, any other leaders. Be glad to help you learn how to begin to live for Jesus. I'm going to ask our elders, our prayer team members, other pastoral staff, if we'll come. We're going to close in just a couple of moments, but as we most often do, we want to take time to pray for you. 
If you have a need today in your life, or maybe you're doing okay right now, but there's somebody else you're concerned about and you would like someone to join with you to pray for a need for somebody else, that's why we're going to be here. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can worship. You can pray over what God spoke to you about today. Commit yourself to not being deceived, not being alarmed, not being dismayed, not being distracted, all that kind of stuff. But let's take these couple of moments to meditate on what God's spoken to us about and to ask Him for the needs in our lives. So whatever need you might have or you'd like somebody to join with you about a physical need, an emotional need, a psychological need, frustrations, depression, healing, that's why we're here. In just a couple moments, I'll come back and close the service in prayer. But let's worship God and pray for those that are in need today. Father, as we come to the end of our time together for this morning, Lord, this song reminds us that to live out what we've talked about today, we need your presence and your power. I thank you, Lord, for the promise of your word that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. And Lord, you exhorted your people to be constantly filled with your spirit. So God, we pray that you'd fill us afresh and anew. And Lord, with everything that we're going to face later today, later this week, God, continue to give us what we need to face it in your strength and in your power to do what you want us to do. Father, I pray that you would help us to take to heart the warnings that you gave to us from your word today. As we face this crazy world, all the ungodly forces pushing and pulling, help us to stand strong in your power and your might. Believing and living and proclaiming and showing your truth in love. And use us in our world to love others, Lord God, and to share Jesus. And show us how we can best do that. And Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God, that you've promised to do all those things. You will be with us. You will empower us and you will help us. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 